I do want to share something very specific with you this morning, and it would be wonderful if we could all uh, read together, if that's okay. I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew 21. So I want to give you a minute to turn that up. This is a chunk of um, scripture I want us to go through. And while you're looking that up, Matthew 21, I just want to tell you, at the risk of making myself sound stupid, I'd like to tell you something. When I walked through the door this morning, I've never been in this building before, and there are lots of faces here that I don't know. And if you've never heard me speak before, this is Welsh. That's what this is. Sorry about that. Um, Anyway, as I walked through the door in the back corner, uh, I just thought, oh, God is with them. <laughs> now, I know that's ridiculous, right? Because that's part of the promise. And his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. But what I felt God was saying was this, and I want to encourage you with this. You already know it. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But you guys are all in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Just in case you were wondering, God is with you for the season that you are in. You are going to grow in this building. You are going to grow significantly and your numbers will swell and increase. And a time will come where you'll be looking at going somewhere else. But for now, you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And Emmanuel is with you. Amen. Okay, so you've got Matthew 21 up. All right, I want to talk to you this morning about a real passion of mine. I want to talk to you about prayer. And so we're going to look at this scripture together. It's Matthew 21, verse 12 to 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Okay, we'll just pause there for a minute. In this first part of this story, you will see that Jesus got a bit indignant, right, at the unrighteousness that was happening in the temple. So you've got money changers and you've got people selling stuff and they are very unrighteous people. They are charging extortionate interest rates and there's a level of unrighteousness going on there. There was a robbery going on really. And Jesus gets to a point here, basically where he says this, I'm not having this anymore. And then he goes in and he does something about it. I'm not having this anymore. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. What does it take for you to get to that place? What does it take for you to be in life, in this world, part of it, not of it, and then all of a sudden something happens and inside of you there's a, I am not having this anymore. I have to tell you that in the past 12 months, I have gone to a deeper place in prayer because of that attitude 
and it's been to do with government and laws that are being passed, things that are happening in my lifetime that I never thought I would ever see. And what happened was I started thinking, what can I do about these things that are happening? And I just want to touch on this very briefly. But I want to encourage us all to get a bit more political than we are. Right? We can vote. Um, this is not a political talk this morning, but I really feel I need to just mention this. We can vote, right? We vote for people and then we put them into office. They should be representing us. We have a right as believers to look at them and see, are you representing us well? And if they are not, then we get in touch with them and we demand that they do. We cannot be ignorant to the political climate that we are living in. We can't do it. We have to know what's going on and we have to know what laws are being passed. There was a little law that snuck in and I don't know how it's snuck past me because I read and watch the news every single day. So I've got a fairly good grasp of what's going on, but a little law kind of snuck in last year to much applause and to much celebration. And it was a law that in my opinion celebrated murder and I thought, how on earth did that get through? Who passed that? Who proposed it? How did it get through? So what I did was I signed up on a website called govtrack.us. And I signed up for emails. And every couple of days, I get an email in my inbox telling me of all the laws that are being proposed so I can pray over the ones I want to go through, and I pray against the ones that I don't. We have a responsibility as people living today in this country to get a bit more political than we are. I love the church. I, I really do. I love leadership. I love everything that we are building. But if there are people amongst us that feel called to the political field, we need to endorse them, support them, put money to them. And we need a Christian influence in politics like we've never seen before. And so there's two things that we can do. And the first is using our vote and using our voices. But the second thing, and this is what I want to talk to you about, is we can pray. Right? And in this story we just read, when Jesus goes in and he puts things to right, he says this phrase, he says, my house will be a house of prayer. Now, he could have said anything there. He could have said, my house will be a house of righteousness, because he just stepped in and caused righteousness to come there. He could have said, it'll be a house of praise. It'll be a house of serving. It'll be a house of worship, a house of the word. But he didn't. He said a house of prayer. So in the middle of injustice and the middle of chaos, he calls out prayer. This is what we need to be. We need to be a house of prayer. I'm going to read to you very quickly from 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. This is in the Passion Translation, so I'll just read it to you. It says, pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. Paul wrote that when Nero was king. And if you know anything about Nero or know anything about your history, he was a corrupt tyrant with absolutely no love for believers, none at all. But Paul is saying to us, pray. You have to pray for every political leader and representative. 
It's got nothing to do with whether we like them or not. It's got nothing to do with whether we support them or not. What we have to do is this. I will pray for this particular leader, this particular representative to come in line with the word of God. And that's as simple as it is. We don't say, oh, I quite like this leader, or I don't like that leader, I'm praying that one out, and I'm praying this one in. It doesn't really matter who's in. They all need to bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and this is what we pray, and this is why we pray and how we pray. And I really believe God is calling the church to stand up and to get to grips with being in charge of the society that we live in and not bending to their whims and not bending to what culture is saying to us, but we should be the head and not the tail in this area. And so we vote, we do everything that we can with the political scene and with the democratic country that we live in. But I'm telling you now, God is calling us to a level of prayer like we've never experienced. He's calling us up to a level of prayer like we have never experienced. And when we pray, we don't pray, and I don't want to offend anybody here, but I might. We don't pray soppy, silly prayers. Oh, God. Oh, bless them, God. Right, we don't pray silly prayers. We have to get our weapons together and think, what is it I want to see? What do I want to see God do? And we come very specific before God. And we start to pray specific things. And then we pray that the word of God that we believe in, because we believe that this kingdom of God is the absolute best way to live. We believe that there's forgiveness there, there is joy there, there is peace, there is life, there is love. We want that kingdom of God to spread its influence right across the earth. So that's how we pray. In that story we just read in Matthew, when Jesus goes in and he says, you know, this, enough of this, I've had enough, and he puts it all right, and then he says, my house will be known as a house of prayer. Three things happen after that. And the first thing is this, healing. Whenever things are made right, healing comes. Whenever righteousness is restored, healing comes. Healing of the heart, healing of the soul, physical healing, relational healing. Healing comes. So you can never be tempted to compromise on righteousness because when it's established, the first thing that happens is healing. The next thing is praise. All of those kids were shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and glory came. So you find that if you put things right, you become a house of prayer, healing starts to happen, and praise starts to go up. And then the third thing that happens, and this is important to note, is this opposition. The leaders became indignant. And if you decide to be a house of prayer, you need to know that you will agitate the atmosphere the atmosphere starts to get agitated. When I first came to America, and I used a washing machine with the, the top, the lid is on the top, I'd never seen one of those before, and so I opened the top, and inside is this, like, I don't know what it is, this thing in the middle, and I'm throwing the clothes in, and then this person comes to help me, and they say, now, what you need to do is you fill it with water, and you put the soap suds in, and blah, 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 because this thing in the middle is called an agitator, and that's the thing that moves everything and gets everything clean. And I thought, oh, I like that. Because we are supposed to be agitating the atmosphere to get it clean. We don't get agitated by the atmosphere. That's a trick of the enemy. He'll try to agitate us. Oh my gosh, if we take ground, you know, he's going to come after us. 
If we go after this issue or this issue, he's going to come after us. No, it's the other way around. He is shaking in his boots. Oh my gosh, if this church rises up and realizes who they actually are and that they can agitate my kingdom, what am I going to do? This is what God is calling us to be. He's calling us to agitate the atmosphere. I've got to tell you just quickly a little bit of my testimony when it comes to prayer. Because I used to hate prayer meetings, just honestly. I thought they were the most boring thing on the face of the earth. And what I've realized is this. If you go to prayer meetings and they're boring, you're in the wrong prayer meeting. If you go to prayer meetings and they're not boring, but you are bored, it's because you were boring. Oh, ow. And I used to go, I used to go to prayer meetings, and this is what would happen. My heart would be moved. It's always been moved in prayer since I was a little girl. My heart would be moved. I would want to see revival come, and I would, I'd be crying, and I would, I'd be blubbering, and I couldn't get the words out. And while I'm blubbering, going, God, 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 God trying to pray, there'd be this really embarrassed silence, and everybody's looking at the floor, and everybody's like just waiting, waiting for me, and eventually I'd get some sort of a prayer out. Then there'd be this long, embarrassing silence. And what I've realized about prayer meetings is, if people don't know how to pray, they do this. Because mm. mm. they don't know what to do. And I had so many prayer meetings where I was like the crazy cat woman in the corner crying my eyes out, a room full of embarrassing, mmm, mmm. I thought, oh, I'm done. I'm not going back. And so I didn't go to prayer meetings for years. I thought, I'm not going. Because every time I go in there, I feel the presence of God. I feel the burden. I'm trying to pray with a bunch of people who don't know how to pray. But I didn't know that that was what it was at the time. I didn't realize that that was what it was. And I've also come to realize that if you want a good prayer meeting, you've got to have the right leader. Because leaders know how to lead a people in the army who are fighting in prayer. And what happened was I, I left Glasgow and I went back down to Wales. And there's a lady there called Jackie Dennis, and she is expert in prayer. She's a warrior. And so I turned up at her prayer meeting. And for the first time, I think in my life, I thought, I'm, I'm actually in a prayer meeting. I don't know what those other things were, but they weren't this. This is a prayer meeting. And she would say, we're going to pray for the nations of the earth. Pick a nation. And I think, pick a nation, pick a nation. I don't know what she's talking about. Pick a nation. And so I pray the best prayer you can ever pray if ever you're in a prayer meeting, which is this, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> if you don't know what to pray, that's all you've got to do. Holy Spirit, help me. And he helps you. And so at one time, we were in this prayer meeting, and I prayed, Holy Spirit, help me, and God just dropped into my heart, Mexico. Never been to Mexico. I mean, I'm living over in the UK. Never been there, don't know anybody there, don't know anything about the country. But this is what happened. This was fascinating, and I started to have regular encounters with God in prayer meetings. Because I opened my mouth, and I said this, Lord, I just pray for Mexico. And as I did, I was in a vision, and I was standing like this, and the Lord was standing here, but he was looking over there. And I said, Lord, I just pray for Mexico. And this is what he did. He turned around, and he looked me right in the eye with just a kind of a neutral expression on his face. 
giving me his full attention. And I panicked. I thought, oh my gosh, God is listening to me. Like, he's actually listening to me. He wants to know what I want him to do in Mexico. Quick, think of something, think of something. So I gotta just pray. I pray for the leaders, I pray for the government, I pray for all of the children, I pray for the economy, I pray for the police force, I pray for education, I pray for the political climate. Everything that I could possibly think of that I wanted God to do in Mexico, I got out of my mouth before he turned away. And I prayed all the way through it. And when I finished, I was like, I'm exhausted. Quite honestly, if you're in a proper prayer meeting, you will be exhausted by the end. And I found during that season in my life, I began to pray properly. I began to pray Holy Spirit-led prayers, and I began to get a revelation on corporate prayer. Now, let me be clear. Corporate prayer is not a bunch of people who have had personal prayer all turn up in the same room and do it together. That's not corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is completely different. It's not personal prayer. It's different. You have to have a good leader, I believe, in corporate prayer, because what's happening is, is you're all coming together to fight, which I'll talk about in a minute. This is not the place where the leader says, we are going to pray for this city, that God does something incredible through this church. And then, lo and behold, Polly in the corner starts going, oh Lord, I pray for my auntie Edna's bad knee. Please heal it. Right, it's, that's not it, right? You've now got a prayer meeting that's run amok. You've now got a prayer meeting that's gone off course. The leader leads, the leader sets the agenda, and it's like as if everybody gets in formation, and we start to pray like an army. We start to pray like the people God has called us to be. I'm going to look down, if you come with me again, Matthew 21. I'm just going to look down a few verses. In verse 18, actually, it says this. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I've heard lots of people preach on that scripture before, but on this particular day when God was speaking to me about prayer, I saw something else. And I saw myself as the fig tree. And I thought, when you look at the New Testament and you look at the Gospels, Jesus was not a demanding person. He didn't go around ordering people about. He was always giving, healing, teaching, feeding. And he had his disciples and he was training his disciples. But he wasn't a demanding person. But here in this story, he comes up to a fig tree and he is demanding something from tree and it doesn't give him what he wants or needs and all of a sudden I saw myself like that fig tree and I thought I cannot be the person that Jesus comes to and says Angela will you pray and I'm like oh I'm sorry I'm in the middle of a movie but I will later when I get around to it Angela will you pray oh I'm really sorry but I'm so tired let me just have a nap first and then I'll get to it 
Angela, will you pray? And I saw myself like this fig tree, not giving Jesus what he needed. And then I realized that there is something in us that God is requiring from us in this area of prayer, that we will bear fruit. In John 15, verse 4, it says in the Passion Translation, your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. Can you take that lid off me, love, please? Thanks. I'm going to read that again. Your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. As long as we are intimately joined with Jesus, there's fruit. And when we are intimately joined, there should be a fruitful prayer life. We should know that every single time we open our mouths, he is stopping heaven and earth to listen to us. I often tell people that I believe, and I truly do believe this, that every time I pray, I imagine God's in heaven, all the angels are worshiping him. It's a big, joyous celebration. And then I need something, I need his attention for something. And I believe that I come before his throne, and he goes like this, all you angels, stop. Angela's speaking. What do you want, Ange? And then I pray. I really believe that happens every single time I pray. That's my revelation. That God will stop heaven and earth to listen to me. I'm that important. And you are that important. That when you pray, God is listening to your voice. That whole scripture I just read there finishes with this. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And when we are first born again, when we first come into this kingdom, we're very kind of self-involved when we are praying. It's all about me, me, me. It's like, oh God, can you help me? Or can you give me a job? Or can you give me a car? Or can you get me a house? And we tend to pray like that. And to be honest with you, that's okay really, because we're on a journey of revelation. Then as we kind of grow up in the things of God a little bit, we start to extend that prayer out a little bit. I pray for my friend, that he'll get saved. I pray for my neighbor. I pray for this, that, or the other. But quite honestly, most people don't move beyond that. And this is a moment really for you to just check your own heart. To what extent does your prayer life go? Most people don't move beyond that. You know we're supposed to pray for the church leaders. If I were to ask you, which I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you how many of you this week prayed for Dan and Fee every single day, what would you say? We're supposed to pray for them. I've got a friend in ministry. She's brilliant. And she said if ever people come to her, and they've got a question or a criticism about leadership, the very first thing she asks them is, have you prayed for them? And if the answer is no, she says, you do not deserve an opinion, go away and pray. Because this is what will happen when you start to pray, God will suddenly give you revelation of what it is the leaders are actually going through and what they need. Your criticism stops, your questions stop, because you begin to get the heartbeat of God for the leadership, and this is the way that God brings us all to the same boiling point. This is the way he does it in our lives. And so we're supposed to pray for our leaders, our church leaders, government leaders, the whole earth, pick a nation. 
but we're supposed to pray beyond ourselves and our street. In Proverbs 23, verse 17, it says this, don't allow the actions of evil men to cause you to burn with anger. Instead, burn with unrelenting passion as you worship God in holy awe. This is one area, just being honest with you, that I've struggled in sometimes, where it says, don't allow the actions of evil men to cause you to burn with anger. And I've had to learn how to go to God in prayer when unrighteousness and injustice seems to be ruling and reigning. And it says you instead burn with unrelenting passion as you worship God in holy awe. And sometimes I have had to take that pain and not just turn it into prayer, but turn it into praise. We one day had somebody knock the door with, and they were quite threatening and I was in the house by myself. And when they went, I was like all agitated and all upset. So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to praise. So I march up and down the kitchen and I'm singing at the top of my voice, you are good God, you are king. You rule over the whole earth. Nothing takes you by surprise. Anything and everything that was coming into my heart, I was just praising. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me and he said this to me, see When you start to worry and fret and get concerned, it gives the enemy the right to say to me, see, she believes me. But when you start to praise and praise and praise in the face of adversity, it gives me the right to say to the enemy, see, she believes me. And this is when we have to take our concerns and our worries and we have to turn it not just into prayer but into praise. I'm telling you, there is such an equipping for warfare in praise. It is amazing. I want to read to you from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, that's the whole chapter about the armor of God. I would ask you, if you could, this week to go away, read that and ask God to speak to you about it, because we don't have time to go into, into it today. But you know the verse that says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, right? That whole verse, that whole bit. I want to read it to you from the Passion Translation, because this is what it says. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Just a couple of things to say about this. We can't go into this today, right? But principalities, authorities, demon gods, evil spirits, that there is a rank and order. right? And if you should go into the Greek and study that out, you will see there's a rank and order there. And it gives us a clue into how the enemy sends out his, his troops, if you like, to do evil and mischief. But that first line, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings. And it's important we remember this because sometimes human beings come against us and it isn't even them, it's the working of the enemy using them like a puppet on a string. And so a fight isn't with them, it's with that force behind them. I saw a fantastic thing on the news this week, I loved it. 
It was a story, it was a video actually, and it was caught on CCTV, and it was in a laundrette or a laundromat, and the CCTV camera was like right up here in the corner looking at the whole room. And there was an old man over here, and he was quite old and doddery, and he was folding his clothes. And then there was an older woman over here, and she was also folding her clothes. Now, that woman got interviewed afterwards, and I would guess she was in her 50s, right? She, but she was a little thing, a little sprightly thing in the corner, folding her clothes, minding her own business. All of a sudden, in comes the mugger, right? So this guy comes in, he's giant. He's got a hoodie up, he's got a bandana on, and he's got a gun in his hand, and he's huge. And he comes in, and he's trying to take their money. So he decides to go for the woman. She's just little in the corner. So he comes around the corner, points the gun at her, and then I rewound and watched this next bit multiple times, and I can't tell you what happened, because it was so fast. He pointed the gun at her, she went like this with her hands, and all of a sudden, she's holding the gun. So then he puts his hands up, he starts walking out backwards, and then you can see in the doorway, she's brought him to his knees, she calls the police and he gets arrested. Now afterwards, she gets interviewed, she was half his size, and, and definitely half his age, uh, sorry, twice his age. When she gets interviewed afterwards, she has been trained in Krav Maga. Anybody ever heard of that? Krav Maga is the hand-to-hand -hand combat fighting system developed for the Israeli Defense Forces. If you know anything about the Israeli Defense Forces, they can fight. They are really good fighters. This is the fighting style that we tend to see in the movies. You know when people are fighting, but they're like about just kind of 12 inches apart? and they look in each other in the eyes, and their hands are moving all over the place, and it's like blocking, attacking, blocking, attacking, and then they use their body weight, so one of them will swing the other around, and then he'll do a cartwheel over him. All of that, right? That's what this is, right? This Krav Maga fighting, that's what that woman did. So when I'm reading this scripture, and it says, your hand-to-hand -hand combat, that's what I'm seeing. We can all do Krav Maga on the spirit. Every single one of us, we're all warriors and we're all fighters. We can do hand-to-hand -hand combat in the spirit. This is the thing about hand-to-hand -hand combat. Your, your enemy is right up and personal. And I don't know if any of you have experienced in your life when evil is present. It's right there. This is the moment we don't back down. This is the moment we don't get afraid but this is the moment when we do hand-to-hand -hand combat and take our enemy down. The very last line I read from that scripture was this, you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. The fight has already been won. We're just reminding the enemy that we are on the winning side and we are not afraid. We are not afraid to fight. In that Matthew scripture that we've been looking at, Jesus drove out and he overturned and I've been talking a lot about like fighting and being in prayer. But I, I do want you to know this, that we do, we do this from a place of rest, not a place of stress. Because we can actually get stressed in prayer sometimes. And we'll know we are stressed if we start praying nagging prayers. Oh God, please. Oh God, will you? Oh God, oh God, oh God. And we think he's not listening to us because we, we've not 
manage to formulate what it is we're really trying to say. We're not taking time to be still and look him in the eyes and pray. And so I want you to know that this is not about being stressed today. This is about being in victory and it's about being in peace, but it is definitely understanding we've got the upper hand and we have won. Do you know, something happens when we pray that is completely unique to us. I taught on prayer to like a, a bunch of our young uh, kids a few years ago, and there, there are some people that kind of just get it. And so we were in this prayer meeting of about a dozen people, and there were three girls that completely monopolized the prayer meeting without knowing they were doing it. Because they closed their eyes, one of them would pray, the second one would pray, the third one would pray, then the second one would pray, then the third one would pray again, then the first one would pray. Nobody could get a word in edgeways. It was like watching spiritual volleyball, right? They were just knocking the ball back and forth to each other. It was fascinating to watch. So when I went home, I was just like kind of lying down, I was just praying, and God gave me a vision of that, this one girl, and I, I've asked her permission to share this, and her name is Rose. She's very, very quirky, very funny sense of humor, really smart girl. And so in this vision, God was sitting on his throne, and there was a red carpet that went down the center of the room and then turned to the corner where there was a door. And not on the red carpet were angels, right? But their toes were right up to the edge because there were so many of them in the room, they had to stand like this. Then all of a sudden, that back door opened and Rose walked in, but she walked in like this. Because that's her personality. She walked in like that, and when she did, every single angel began to jump up and down, and they began to shake each other by the shoulders, and they started to say, it's Rose, it's Rose, Rose is here, Rose is here. And as they were getting more and more excited, it was like, no, we've got to express this like even, even in a better, bigger way. And so some of them reached down into like sock things they had and pulled out trumpets and they started going, do 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 do, Rose is here, do 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 do, Rose is here. And then I came out of the vision. Rose hadn't opened her mouth at this point. All she had done was walk into the room and God said to me, That is what happens when Rose prays. That's what happens. So I said, God, give me another one. So I went into another vision, and this one was about my son, Kian. And I saw a picture of Kian in a prayer meeting, just about six people, and his eyes were closed, and whenever he's like in the zone with God, he gets this look on his face, it's really intense, and he was like this. And I can see he's just about to pray. But to his left here is an angel, and this angel is a warrior angel and he's, he's got all the gear on, like as if he's going to war. And on his left hip, turning backwards, is a sword. And then there's another angel, exactly the same, and another, and another, and another, and there's a, a row of angels who are all dressed exactly the same way, standing in the same way next to him. And then when it's Kian's turn to pray, all he does is this. That's all. He's just about to say, Lord, I just pray, but he doesn't get that far. He takes an intake of breath, and as he does, 
every angel takes their right hand, moves it to their left hip, pulls the sword out and raises it in the air. And God said to me, every time he prays, there are angels on assignment to fulfill the very thing he's prayed for. That is just a little encouragement and a little picture for you so that you know something specific happens when you pray. You. Not just the people around you, not just the leaders, but when you pray, something specific happens and God is listening to every word that comes out of your mouth. I just think that God is calling his people worldwide, actually, to come to a new level of understanding of prayer. Because when you understand it like this, it actually becomes the funnest, most exciting thing you do. You're then crawling over each other to get to the prayer meeting, not to get out. You want to be there. You're excited to be there. You're fighting each other to pray. We do prayer meetings called Power Hour because they're just for 60 minutes and we have this rule, no silences. No silences. Now I know silence sometimes is from heaven and you do get those holy silences, but they are actually much rarer than most of us realize. So we have this rule, no silences, which means I will pray and if nobody else is praying, I'll pray again. And then if nobody else prays, I'll pray again. Until after six prayers, somebody thinks, oh, I'm sick of the sound of her voice. I'll pray. But we have no silences. And sometimes people are clamoring to pray at the same time and the leader has to get involved and go, okay, you go first, then you go next, then you go next, then you go next. Go. And then there'll be order, because there has to be order. There'll be order. But I believe God's calling us honestly to a place like we've never experienced before in this whole area, especially corporate prayer, especially that. So I'm going to ask you two things, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I'd like to pray with us. Pray for us, I mean. And the first thing is this. I really believe God is asking you personally to up the game in your personal prayer life. Can you up the game in your personal prayer life? And secondly, can you get on board with the church? So it's not just you in your life, but it's what is the church doing corporately? And if your answer is yes, I just want you to put your hand on your heart for a moment. And that's just your personal response to the Lord. You're just saying, God, I'm in. I'm in. I want to know how to do hand-to-hand combat. I want victory in this area. Every prayer that I pray gets answered. Father, I just pray for every person right now that has their hand on their heart. I just ask you in the name of Jesus that, Father, you will take them to places they've never experienced before, that you will make this the most exciting journey they've ever been on, that, Father, you will begin to speak into their hearts, 
your vision, your purpose, your revelation, your kingdom truths, that, Father, this church will get to the boiling point together, that, God, no one gets left behind, but that everybody is in, every prayer is answered, and that you will do something incredible and dramatic in this area, in this church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I share one last thing, if that's okay? Because... God spoke to me this week for this church, and I shared it with Dan, and I think it's up, it's up to Dan how to work this, but I want to share it with you quickly. I saw a picture of a brickyard where bricks were made to build houses, and somebody had gone and collected old bricks from demolished houses and brought them back to this brickyard so that they could get repurposed. And Dan was standing in the brickyard, and there was huge piles of old bricks that had been in other buildings. And then every single person in this church walked over to the pile of bricks, picked up a brick, got a tool like a trowel, turned the brick over, looked at it, inspected it, and then with the trowel started to knock off all the old cement and they started to like, give it, repurpose it, if you like, give it another purpose. They just knocked off all the old cement. And then when that brick was back to its former glory, so to speak, they came and laid it at Dan's feet. Now, all of a sudden, Dan has a big mound of bricks that he can build something with that he couldn't have got if he had gone and done it by himself. You understand, right? That would have taken hours for one person to do. It took a very small amount of time and was very easy for every single person to pick up a brick and work on it and lay it at Dan's feet. Apostles are builders. They're always into building. They want to build things. They want to build well, but they can't do it by themselves. It is the church that actually builds together. Okay, so Father, we just say thank you for that word. We just say, God, that you will bless Dan and Fee and everything that they are doing here in this place and in all the other places where their churches are represented. Father, I pray you will double their numbers, double their money, double their leaders, double everything that they need. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. Amen.